Democrats had a great election night, or week, across the United States. They did way better than expected. In Pennsylvania, they won the governor's race and flipped a Senate seat. In Michigan, they will control all three branches of state government. The red wave victory party Republicans had hoped for just didn't happen. But there is one big bright spot for the GOP, Florida. We made promises to the people of Florida, and we have delivered on those promises. And so today, after four years, the people have delivered their verdict. Freedom is here to stay. In Florida on Tuesday night, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis celebrated his win over Democrat Charlie Crist. DeSantis won by nearly 20 percentage points. Florida was really a blowout for the Republican Party. Tim Craig is a national correspondent covering Florida for The Post. No Republican has won by that margin in Florida since basically around Reconstruction or the Civil War era. Across the state, Republicans also had a great night. Senator Marco Rubio won re-election, and the GOP gained a supermajority in the Florida state legislature. Florida, which has already been sort of leaning red in recent national presidential elections, has kind of lurched very far to the right in this election. I mean, it was a decisive win, and I think it's going to be very hard in the coming years for Democrats to regroup to be successful in the state. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Thursday, November 10th. Today, the victory of Ron DeSantis in Florida. How he won so big in what's historically been an important swing state. And what his success can tell us about the GOP's plans for 2024. So before we get deeper into what happened this week in Florida. We're always hearing about Florida being such an important state in presidential election years. So let's sort of step back, and and can you remind us what role has Florida played in past national elections? Well, I mean, for most of the last, you know, 30 years almost, Florida has been an essential part of both party strategy for getting the 270 electoral votes needed to win the presidency. You know, it's currently the third most populous state, especially when you have two large states, California and New York, kind of firmly locked in the Democrats' hands. Republicans always needed Florida to be successful. Democrats not always needed it, but it was also very helpful for them to be able to win the presidency. Barack Obama won Florida narrowly twice. As many people remember, from uh, 2000, Al Gore lost it by just a couple hundred votes in the 2000 presidential election, which handed the presidency to George Bush. And then, of course, in 2016, Hillary Clinton came up short in Florida, and that sort of set the tone for her broader loss to Donald Trump. Yeah, and then and then Donald Trump won it in this past election, but he didn't win the presidency, right? Yes, Donald Trump came up short. He 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 did win Florida, and he actually increased his margin in Florida compared to 2016. Florida was only one of the few places in the country where Donald Trump did better in 2020 than he did in 2016. Uh, but that still was not enough when he was losing states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan in the north. Right, right. 
I want to dig into that. What, when did Republicans really start to gain momentum in the state? I mean, really, you started to see a Republican shift in the 1990s, around the same time that much of the rest of the South was starting to sort of move more to the right and get away from the D- Democratic Party. You started seeing Florida sort of head in that direction as well. Jeb Bush won in 1998 as the governor. He was very popular. He was reelected pretty easily. Florida has not elected a Democrat governor since 1994, but yet Democrats were always close in many of these elections, too. Democrats in statewide elections usually were within three or four points of the Republican. That has now changed. And the problem for the Democrats is they're no longer close. They no longer seem competitive. And if you're not competitive, how do you convince people to still invest in the Democratic Party? How do you convince people to still volunteer for the Democratic Party? And how do you still convince people that the state still matters in the broader political context of the nation? Tim, you're saying that in many of these statewide races, even though Florida hasn't elected a governor who isn't Republican in many years, it was still close. This past week, we saw this election was not close at all. Is there anything going on demographically, for instance, that might explain this difference? Well, you you make a good point about the closeness. You know, it was only four years ago that Andrew Gillum, uh, who was an African-American Democrat running for governor, he lost by like 32,000 votes. That's it. That's a very close margin in a state like Florida. Demographically, yes, the state has sort of changed. It was always, you know, we have a growing Latino and Hispanic population. Puerto Rican population in central Florida has grown dramatically in the last couple of years, especially after Hurricane Maria about five years ago. Mm. And then... More broadly, you have, though, this sort of in-migration of people who are moving into Florida from northern states. Um, This has always been the case. You know, Florida has always attracted retirees, but it has accelerated during the pandemic. And what we never really could tell during the pandemic is, are the people moving here from New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Illinois... Are they moving here and going to bring sort of more liberal politics with them that is more uh, known in some of those northern states? Or are they moving here because they are conservatives and they don't uh, like issues going on with COVID in the north, the COVID lockdowns or the mask mandates or the debate over crime or perceptions about crime? So we didn't really know that. But in these elections, I think it's pretty clear that many of the people who have moved here during the pandemic lean to the right. They're pretty reliably Republican, and they really like Governor Ron DeSantis. So you add those three up, and I think that helps explain part of what happened here on Tuesday. That does bring us to Ron DeSantis and where he does fit into this equation. He he fared much better than many other statewide Republicans running in other states on election night. So let's talk briefly about who Ron DeSantis is. When did he first become governor? What are his politics? And how did he become so popular in Florida? Governor DeSantis was a, a former congressman representing uh, Northeast Florida for, for several years. He was conservative in Congress, but most of his, his issue focus in Congress was like economic issues like taxes and uh, spending. He ran in 2018 for the Republican nomination for governor. And at, at the last minute, he received an endorsement actually from Donald Trump, which helped propel him to the nomination. True. He's tough. He's smart. And he loves Florida and he loves our country. And he's going to be your next governor, Ron DeSantis. 
He was then elected governor in a very hard-fought race in 2018, which was not a good year for the Republicans. If you remember, 2018 was the year that Democrats did very well in the midterms because of voter fatigue with President Trump. Uh, But Ron DeSantis managed to pull out a narrow victory. The first part of his term, the first year or so, he was governed kind of towards the center. You know, he focused on, like, water quality, restoring the Everglades. He supported a certain approach to legalizing medical marijuana. And, you know, he tried to seem like he wasn't being controversial. The latter part of his term, especially when the pandemic began, he started governing kind of in a very rigid, very conservative manner. You know, he quickly opened the state, um, despite what scientists around the nation were saying during the pandemic. As long as I sit in the chair in which I sit, no Floridian will be restricted, mandated, or locked down in any possible way. He banned local officials from implementing mask mandates, and he kind of pushed back heavily against efforts to sort of have any sort of vaccine mandates for uh, public employees. In the last year, he's as he's considered a run for presidency, he's even gone even farther to the right by really taking on some of these divisive social issues and cultural issues as it relates to schools, books in schools, transgender rights and uh, issues. Athletic teams or sports uh, that are designated for females are open uh, to females. And we're going to go based off biology, not based off ideology when we're doing sports. And he's kind of made himself a cultural warrior on that front. It was kind of up for grabs whether that was going to play in Florida, because at the end of the day, you know, Florida still has pockets of pretty liberal cities, Miami, Tampa, Jacksonville, Orlando. Uh, But the results on Tuesday show that those places are increasingly uh, a minority in the state. So what did happen for him in Florida on election night? And, And what happened to Democrats that they lost so badly? Well, I think there was a number of factors. I think over the last three years or last two years, the Republicans have really been gaining more registered voters. Florida always had a majority Democratic uh, voter registration dating back to the Civil War when the Democrats were more aligned with the, the interests of the South. That went away last year. Republicans overtook Democrats in voter registra- registration. And that those trends just really greatly accelerated this year, where we now have more than 200,000 more Republicans in the state. You know, the Democratic Party just did not do a very effective job in this election. Uh, DeSantis' opponent was uh, for- former Congressman Charlie Crist. I know they say we're the underdog. That's fine. That's fine. Grassroots is right. Because I fought for underdogs my entire life. My entire life. Families struggling to make ends meet underpaid teachers, women who deserve the freedom to make their own decisions about your own body. He was a former Republican who then became a Democrat during the Obama era. He, you know, he was a white man in a party that's increasingly diverse. And I think that he wasn't inspirational. So he did not do much to draw in new voters to the process. He did not do much to... uh, motivate or energize turnout. In the Senate race, you had a sort of more a dynamic candidate in uh, Congresswoman Val Demings, who's an African-American woman, who I think she did help draw in some uh, new voters to the process, but it wasn't clearly enough for this election. Um, so the party has to determine going forward who are its leaders. 
They have no statewide leaders at the moment. And there's not really anyone on the horizon that we can see right now who's going to sweep in and rescue the Florida Democratic Party or to become a leader for the Florida Democratic Party. Mm. Was DeSantis able to make inroads in places and with voters who usually would back Democratic candidates? We, we kind of got to wait a little bit to see, like, what the results um, show when you really dig into numbers. But as of now, it appears that DeSantis has made some gains among Latino voters. It appears that he made some gains with Puerto Rican voters in Central Florida. Um, and it appears he made some gains with younger voters more broadly. Um, you know, I think some of this comes back to the pandemic. You know, Florida is a state that heavily relies on tourism. Many young people work in either the tourist industry or the restaurant industry. Many Latino voters work in the tourism industry or the restaurant industry. And I think DeSantis' message during the pandemic, which was, we're not going to lock down. We're going to keep your job open. We're going to get through the pandemic by just pressing ahead. And we don't care what the scientists say as it relates to public health. We're just going to keep working. That had impact with some traditional Democratic voters. Mm. And I think that also helped DeSantis, who campaigned kind of around this message of freedom. We're the free state. Keep Florida free. And I think that was a powerful message for some groups who may otherwise wanted to vote Democratic over issues like abortion or other issues. And what about Latinos in the state? I know that Florida has historically been home to a large Cuban-American population. Um, Where are their politics with DeSantis specifically? You know, the Cuban-American community in South Florida has been, you know, historically very Republican since the Cold War, dating back to their views on foreign policy and the Republican stance on communism. Um, we really started seeing maybe in the last 10 to 20 years, but younger Cubans were increasingly at least open to maybe supporting Democratic candidates or sort of becoming a little bit more liberal on some policies that caused them to support Democrats. That has sort of gone away in this election cycle. The younger Cuban vote even has swung back to being more Republican. And I think that we also saw that in the election result when Miami-Dade County voted for DeSantis pretty overwhelmingly, and DeSantis became the first Republican candidate for governor in 20 years to win Miami, which has always, you know, been a pretty central part of the Democratic Party. Tim, in your conversations with voters across Florida who have backed DeSantis, is there anything predominant that stands out for you and what you've heard from voters? You know, there was a pretty effective ad that ran right before the election that had a, a boxer boxing a punching bag. And he was said, you know, please vote for Ron DeSantis. He sticks up for us. He fights for us. And that was a pretty effective ad because that, I think a, to a lot of Republicans and not even Republicans, many independents, you know, they, they're voting as much as for DeSantis and his sort of his reputation for being a fighter, for his reputation for willing to take on, you know, what they consider to be the liberal, liberal media or special interest groups or, you know, take on people who want to lock down the cities during COVID. And that's why they voted for him. Now, whether that carries over, if DeSantis does run for president, I mean, we have to wait and see how that would work. But in Florida, it has been a very effective message for him. After the break, what this Ron DeSantis win in Florida could mean for 2024. We'll be right back. I'm Hannah Rosen, host of Radio Atlantic. Wait, really? 
Every week, we talk to Atlantic writers or other creative thinkers, and we take one idea and we road test it. Maybe what I'm asking is, is the problem them or us? Sometimes I change my mind about things. That's such a good point. I never thought of that. Maybe you will, too. Or at least you might see something differently. Ooh, that's fabulous. Radio Atlantic. New episodes every Thursday. So, Tim, zooming out beyond Florida, looking across the country, there was this expectation that there would be a red wave for many reasons, including historical patterns and President Biden's low approval ratings. But clearly that red wave didn't happen. And part of the reason, it seems, is that key candidates, former President Donald Trump back, lost. And so, Tim, now people are looking to DeSantis, who was successful as a possible presidential candidate. So what has DeSantis said about all of this? Has he talked about 2024? He hasn't said a lot. He's he stayed pretty mum publicly about what his intentions are. Like Donald Trump has hinted way more about his future political ambitions than Ron DeSantis has um, publicly. With that said, I think the, the growing expectation in Florida is, is that he likely will run for president. I thought maybe a year ago that he would never run against Donald Trump if Trump's running um, because I thought he thought that he could not win. Now I probably think that he will run even if Donald Trump run, runs because I think he increasingly sees that perhaps there is a path for him to uh, win the nomination mm. alongside Donald Trump. I, I still I th still think that's early, though. Donald Trump has been counted out many times before, as right. you know, <laughs> and he's he's a survivor within the Republican Party. Uh, on Sunday, Donald Trump was in Miami for a rally for Senator Rubio, and I was there, and I talked to a lot of uh, people who were there, and I asked them this question, you know, you're a Florida resident, you like DeSantis, you like Trump, who would you support if those two ran against each other for the Republican nomination? And nearly everyone at that rally said Donald Trump. But mm. many of them sort of have this vision of Trump as president and DeSantis as vice president. That likely wouldn't happen, but that's kind of where their mindset is, you know, among the hardcore followers of Mr. Trump. Before the rally, uh, Trump actually so started calling out and making a sort of a nickname for Governor DeSantis. Trump called him Governor DeSanctimonious or, or something similar to that, which many observers took as sort of the first shot of that. If DeSantis does run for president, Trump is going to be coming after him. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's even worth asking before we get into their their chances and odds against each other. How is Ron DeSantis different from Donald Trump? In terms of policies, I think in some ways DeSantis is willing to press more conservative policies than Donald Trump is. Mm. Uh, I never covered Donald Trump, so I, I'm a little bit cautious of like making too sweeping of an assessment. But I think DeSantis sees himself almost more as a cultural warrior and willing to do things that even Trump would not have done as president when it comes to stoking some of the division that has been taking place in this country as it relates to matters of race, um, sexual orientation, uh, you know, immigration. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't forget it was only last month that DeSantis organized the effort to pick up migrants in Texas that aren't even in Florida and put them on a plane, fly them to Martha's Vineyard, even though 
many of these people are allowed to be in the country legally anyways. Right. You know, all for a political stunt. Florida state lawmakers set aside $12 million as part of a program to transport migrants to states like New York and California, which DeSantis refers to as sanctuary states. So those are the types of things that I think DeSantis is willing to do uh, to bolster his own image because it's furthering a sort of a, his vision of a more polarized, divisive, hardline nation mm. and Republican Party. And, you know, we've been talking about how Ron DeSantis has done politically and policy-wise in Florida. Tim, do you have a sense of how Ron DeSantis does among Republicans nationally? Like, is he considered a candidate and a politician that is the the future of the party and deserves consideration? And and is there sort of brewing this sense of Republicans saying this is the person we need to look to rather than Donald Trump if we want to prevail in the next presidential election? But I think there's no question that DeSantis was the second person in, with among Republicans for, you know, leading the party in the future. Uh, I think he'll have, a, you know, a lot of momentum. I think he has a lot of support behind him within the Republican Party. And I think a lot of Republicans around the nation see him as, okay, we get basically the same as Trump policies without maybe some of the controversy, some of the baggage, some of the proneness to speak off the cuff. And, and also, I think DeSantis, to many Democrats and independent voters, remains a relatively unknown quantity around the nation. You know, I think as we saw Tuesday, Trump is a sort of a lightning rod and, you know, half the nation is going to just automatically vote against him. Mm. DeSantis, many Republicans believe he enters with kind of a clean slate as it comes to winning over independents, winning over um, maybe disaffected Democrats or moderate or conservative Democrats. And he, so he would maybe have a better shot at winning the presidency than Trump does, who just lost the presidency for the party. What are Democrats in the state saying about the future of Florida for their party? Democrats are saying that they need to do a lot of work, and they need to do a lot of work soon. Some Democrats think it's going to be at least 10 years before they can sort of rebound. Many Democrats are sort of skeptical that, you know, on one hand, they don't think that Florida's probably going to be competitive in the 2024 election. On the other hand, some people note that it's hard to sort of write off Florida if you're a Democrat, because if the Democratic candidate writes off Florida, then the Republicans just have to, can spend all that money in Georgia, you know. And so you, they may need to have some presence in Florida just to try to try to keep the Republican Party, you know, spending a little bit of money here. But I think they're, they realize it's, it's a long slog. I think they need to have conversations with a lot of different um, groups or ethnic groups within the state to try to win over more support. And they also need to find uh, leadership. So they have a multifaceted challenge ahead of them. And all those things takes money. And you need to convince national Democratic donors that it's still worth it for them to invest in the Florida Democratic Party. And that may be the biggest challenge they face. If they don't have money, they're not going to be able to sort of mount the full-scale organization efforts that they need. I think that at the same time, there is a little bit of a hint of optimism. It's still a diversifying state. White Floridians will be a minority at some point. And they, I think that, that gives the Democrats some maybe optimism that they can make further gains. But I think everyone agrees it's going to be a long, hard battle back for the Democratic Party of Florida. 
Tim Craig is a national reporter covering Florida for The Post. The story was produced by Sabi Robinson, with help from Arjun Singh. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Lucy Perkins. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. 